And we are live back with another episode of Shifting the Narrative on Everything Autism. I'm Torin Kearns, and as usual, I'm joined by the Autism Sage herself, Mama Vadden. How are you? I'm doing great today. I am super excited about um, our guest. And I will say to our guest um, that my parents are so excited about you um coming on the podcast i mean um they are just like messages this morning i got um you're still gonna do it right (laughs) yes uh because when i found your when i came across your profile um i i was like oh my gosh and then i just like said you guys have got to um follow um and i am going to refer to you as um lauren melissa um, during the podcast. However, I cannot pronounce and do not want to mess up your social media name. <laughs> so it's pronounced Atienel, but oh. most people pronounce it Atienel, and I'm happy with either. Got it. All right. So everyone knows who we are sitting here with. And um, would you like to tell the listeners just a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm Lauren Melissa, also known as Ashinel, and I am an autistic self-advocate, instructional support specialist for K through 12 inclusion in public schools, and I am also a young adult fiction author. But I think I'm mostly known for being a content creator on social media, namely Instagram, where I write different posts about autistic-centered supports and autistic-centered care. This is something that I'm really passionate about as we all strive together towards authentic autistic inclusion. And I've been very happy to do work alongside many others, including the United Nations, CUNY, Stanford, Lincoln Center for the Performing Arts, and a lot of different other organizations. Also got a shout out Neuroclastic. That's a great introduction. I always, I, I always love when we get good introductions. Like, because when people ask me to do introduction on podcasts, I'm just like, uh, uh, I, I do things with things. So that's, I, I don't know if you've done that before, if you if you have like an introduction that you're used to doing, but whatever the case, that was an awesome introduction. We're so happy to have you here. It was very, very nice introduction. And what I want to say is, the listeners knew you by your social media name. Now they know so much more and they can learn more about what you're doing um, because of that introduction. Uh, so I will, I want to, I want to add to that introduction. There is a post that you had um, that when I read the post, I thought, oh my gosh, like this is such a beautiful message and such a way to introduce yourself with, I'm just going to read the post to the listeners. Um, And so I'm going to read it in the frame that I'm saying you because it says I. Um, So I'm introducing her um, on some other, um, I'm just going to go with it. It says, um, Oh my gosh, give me just a second. I'm so sorry because this post was really emotional for me. Like it was so emotional that, I mean, I had to like call three people because it just impacted me and I wanted it to impact others. 
All right, so we are talking to Lauren Melissa Atianel, and she is an autistic person, and she is proud of her stems. She is proud of the knowledge she has around her special interest. She is proud of her ideas and her innovation. She is proud of her authenticity and her honesty. She is proud of her attention to detail. She is proud of her intense, extraordinary perceptions. She is a proud, she's a proud member of the autistic community and she is proud to be autistic. That is a very powerful post. Um, and I, I say that because people try to make a, for lack of a better way to say it, a positive spin, it's my superpower. And you framed it in a way of, it's not so much that it's a superpower. This is who I am. And these are the parts of me that I'm proud of. And that is really what everyone should feel, whether it's being loud and it bothers people or whatever it is. I'm saying that because I'm loud and it bothers people. <laughs> um, but I'm a proud, loud person. It's who I am. So I wanted to give add that to the introduction and because um, it really is a powerful post and I wanted you to know that. Um, and the listeners to go to that post. All right. Okay, Torn, do you have anything to say? Oh, I thought you were leading this into a question. No, I'm ready. Oh, All Jesus right. Christ. I... <laughs> this, one, this one's going great so far. <laughs> I know. I'm just so excited because I, I I, don't think that, and I'm. this is the last I'm going to say of it because I'm just going to get it out. I don't know if you know how much your social media posts have changed the perspective parents have of their children. And that is what I work hard to do every day. And you have been phenomenal in supporting me in that mission. So um, that is really where this emotion is coming from. So my listeners and myself would like to know, uh, what age did you um, receive your diagnosis? Was it official? Um, and um, if it was, I think you were late diagnosis, correct? If I remember reading, yes. Yes. Tell us your story to becoming a part of the autism community. Well, even before my diagnosis, I do think I was part of the autistic community because mm -hmm. I've always been autistic. I just mm -hmm. didn't have a word for it. But I was diagnosed at age 23, mm -hmm. which is late, but not the latest. Mm -hmm. I know many autistic women, especially who weren't diagnosed until their 40s or 50s. So sometimes when I hear well, you were late diagnosed, I think. Actually, I think I was diagnosed at a pretty good time mm -hmm. um, because I, I feel like I was able to really absorb who I am as an autistic person in a time where I was still pretty young. Mm -hmm. This was eight years ago. So I received my diagnosis at age 23, but my mom actually thought that I might be autistic when I was around the age of two or three. And prior to that, she had already seen certain signs, though I had many things that seemed to contradict the stereotype of an autistic person, one of which being that I was an early talker and I was very talkative and would not stop. But I was actually a late walker and I did the toe walking thing until, you know, maybe I was six. I also was stimming at a very young age. It was a joke in the family that I came out of the womb sucking my fingers. 
and I never stopped. And I didn't really stop until the sixth grade. So that was a very long period mm -hmm. of my life where I was sucking my fingers and mm -hmm. many people did see it as odd. Mm -hmm. And I did receive many interventions to try to make me stop that, to stop the stimming. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure we'll talk more about stimming in a bit. Mm -hmm. But what led to me seeking an autistic diagnosis is actually quite a long journey. I always felt very different mm -hmm. from my peers. I socialized differently. I didn't really take joy in humor. And I had a lot of sensory differences, although I didn't know that word mm -hmm. at the time, but constant tummy aches, migraines starting at like second grade, things like that, that were surefire signs. Mm -hmm. And so I felt very, very different. And actually around the time that I was 13 years old, I took to the internet to try to find answers for my differences. I actually felt very broken. I felt like I was a broken person and I wanted an answer for what I thought was my brokenness. So around that age, I did come across autism as something that is, you know, a possible difference between people. And I resonated with a lot of the descriptions of autism, but whenever I took those little online screeners, it would always say borderline or, or not really. And that's because those screeners are very biased towards stereotypical representations of autism. That's not to say that those screeners don't describe certain autistic people, they do, but it causes a lot of folks to be missed and especially a lot of people you know, who are either girls or socialized as girls. We grow up with different kinds of discipline, different kinds of interactions that can lead to autism showing on the surface in different ways. Mm -hmm. One of those ways, for example, is that I really like fiction and reading fiction. And one of the big things on screeners are, do you enjoy fiction? And that's supposed to be a sign that you're not autistic. But I really liked fiction because it was a safe social world mm -hmm. where I wasn't being bullied I didn't feel different and I could learn about the world and learn about other people in that way. But I digress. So I did discover autism at that age, but I assumed based upon those screeners that I could not be autistic. Mm -hmm. I repeated that cycle multiple times. I returned back to autism screeners when I was 18. And then I returned back to autism screeners when I was in college. Now that's because of my lifetime of differences that I faced. I felt so different in middle school. I felt so different in high school. I was, I was constantly having conflicts with others that I did not intend to have when I had the best intentions in my words and was being misunderstood constantly. And I was constantly ill. I would miss two to three days of school a week because of sensory processing issues. So this I thought was, oh, well, this is just because of middle school, high school, when I go to college, I'll be better. Like it'll all be better because I'll be with peers that understand me. Well, that did not happen. And I went to college and the bullying and the misunderstandings and the social confusion and the sensory pain continued. So I told myself, oh, well, it's just schooling. And when I leave school, it will, it will be different when I go into the workplace. And it was not different in the workplace. I was still experiencing bullying and misunderstandings and sensory issues. And it just felt like it never ended. 
people always thought that my special interests were strange. You know, why are you talking about these things? You're so annoying, they would say to me. It was very frustrating. So one day when I was 22, I looked up autism again, but this time it just, there was just this bound of inspiration in me to look up autism in girls. And I found a different, more expanded traits list and a lot more additional information about what it's like to live as a masked autistic person or autistic person that camouflages their traits because of social conditioning. And so when I found that list, it was like I read a description of myself. It's from top to bottom. And I couldn't believe it. I, I just was like, this is me. This is me. And I showed some of my close friends, some of my family, some I showed my partner. And they all said, I, sh I showed it to them and I didn't tell them what it was a list of. Mm -hmm. I just said, can you read this and tell me mm -hmm. if this sounds like me? And some of them laughed and said, this this is a description of you, right? You just wrote an, a description of yourself. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, this is a description of autism. Mm -hmm. And after that, I read several books because I really wanted to make sure that I understood mm -hmm. what autism is and whether or not it might be me. From there, I contacted a psychologist and I had an evaluation which comprised of an interview and the DSM-5 evaluation as well as surveys sent to my partner and my mom. And when all was said and done, I'm autistic and that's who I am. And it was, it was really great to finally have that answer. My mom, when I told her I'm autistic, she said, I always knew. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, if you always knew, why did you always tell me that I wasn't whenever I asked mm -hmm. you if you thought I was autistic? Mm -hmm. And you know, she had the best of intentions. Yeah. She was really worried for me as a girl, a girl of color mm -hmm. um, in the school system. She, she had been worried that if she had got, gotten any additional, you know, quote unquote, mm -hmm. label attached to me that I would face a lot of stigma in school. Oh, you would have. You 100% would have because I did as a black man who was diagnosed a child. You 100% would have. That's why I don't, I don't blame my mom for that because I know that she was right in many ways. But then when I did tell her, I said, she, and she said, I know. I thought, ha. <laughs> yeah. So it is true. But that stigma that's based in schools mm -hmm. and in society for autistic individuals, especially autistic individuals of color or have different um, lines of inter intersecting lines of difference, it's real and it does really need to be addressed. Yeah. And, and that's why we're, you know, doing this podcast because we can't shift the narrative. We can't have the stigma removed until we talk about it and say, look at all the autistic people in this room that you didn't even know were autistic, right? Or if you did, let's talk about it um, and what that means um, with us working together. So, you know, hopefully in my lifetime that happens. Um, did you have anything that you wanted to? Torin's, Torin's giving me this gift. It's like an early birthday gift of leading the conversation because I he knows how excited I was um, to be able to chat with you. Not really, because you sort of hit the points that I wanted to bring up. Mm -hmm. Like, I agree with, like I said, I agree with your mom. We did an episode recently, which is, which I think either already aired or is going to air next week. 
where I read some my psych evaluations and IEPs from when I was a kid when I was diagnosed. And the amount of just gaslighting and made up diagnosis and just vitriol that comes across on the page written by the doctors was proof to what, what, what your mom thought was unfortunately correct, that having a diagnosis at an early age sometimes can be a detriment because then you get defined as the broken, disabled thing versus as like, you know, a person or a human being, which is cause a lot of later diagnosed. I hate to say late diagnosed when someone gets diagnosed in their 20s. It's not late. You're not even really an adult, in my opinion, yet, because you're still figuring things out. But later than like when I was diagnosed, when I was eight. When you're later diagnosed, in a way, people think it's better to get diagnosed early. It really isn't because then you, you don't always get a chance to find yourself as a person because people are defining you for you. So I, I'm glad you brought that up, but I don't really have anything else in terms of like questions. I think Stacy has, I want to let Stacy lead. This was this this was Stacy's idea, and I really want to give her a chance to get her questions across. But you you actually just led exactly where I was going. Go ahead. <laughs> um, well, I I would like to add to mm-hmm. what was said. Mm-hmm. I think that you know, especially being born in the '90s, that there is so much stigma that it was attached and you know continues to be attached to the autism diagnosis. I do think as time has passed, there are more benefits to getting diagnosed earlier now and more supports depending on where someone lives and what they have access to. But I do think that there are benefits to getting diagnosed earlier now than maybe weren't available when you and I were younger. And like I said, that does depend on context. Mm -hmm. I also resonate though, at the same time with what you said about how on paper people were saying, you know, that you are broken and I maybe didn't receive that on a piece of paper in the same way, but on my report cards, you know, I was constantly getting like needs respect or needs to work on um, group involvement. And I thought I'm, I'm doing my best or I was just being honest and I was very confused. And then the feedback that I received from my peers was telling me that I am broken. So I internalized that same thinking, but I had nothing to understand myself or I thought it was literally like I just was born mm-hmm. broken and there's something completely wrong with me and when I received my autism diagnosis thankfully I had read through so many different books written by autistic authors mm-hmm. that I had internalized autism in a different way mm-hmm. from the autistic perspective of folks who recognize their strengths and their challenges so when I received my autism diagnosis it replaced that broken narrative for me because I had read a different narrative. I had I had learned about the lives of many autistic individuals across the spectrum who had, had and do have wonderful things to share and are inherently valuable human beings mm-hmm. and that we just have a difference and we have a different neurotype and that brings challenges and it brings many beautiful things. So I actually cried when I received my diagnosis because I was so relieved and because I had this answer for who I am, who I am proud to be. I could never be proud of myself before. Mm-hmm. And and this is why I wanted to have you on the podcast. That was just beautifully stated. And um, those are the messages that help our listeners, help other family members start thinking differently about um their child because 
we have to shift. I mean, it can't just be uh, autistic individuals doing all the work. Like everybody has to to find a way to make adjustments. Um, and I just think if people understand, uh, then they're more willing to make the adjustments. And of course, there are going to be people who don't want to make adjustments, which, um, uh, you know, this is one of the things I kind of wanted to talk about. And I was going to share a story that will lead into um, uh, one of the topics that I see often on your platform. And I met with a family in um, Australia and the parents are understanding that stimming is necessary, <laughs> but want it to go away because it looks different, but understanding that it's necessary. And I'm like, are you really understanding it's necessary? Um, but at the same time, you know, Torn and I talk, um, I work with families all over the globe. And so there's a lot of cultural pressure for some families to the point where they're literally shunned from the family, right? And so lots of dynamics around that. But you have a wonderful way of presenting your stems, sharing what other stems may possibly look like. And I'd like to know, um, how did that become something that was important to, to um, put on your platform so people could really understand? When I first started posting on social media, mm -hmm. I was terrified to ever post anything about my stems. I had internalized that stems were something that I really needed to hide mm -hmm. from other people. And now you look at my platform, it's like, I love talking about stimming all the time. And the sensory is something that I'm very passionate about. And that's because stimming for me is really key in self-regulation. It's really key in meltdown prevention. And it's really key in me being able to express my feelings, be it feelings of joy, frustration, boredom, sadness. I think sometimes when we think of stimming, we always think of crisis, mm -hmm. but stimming is a huge part of me even expressing my feelings of happiness. To me, stimming is like my form of facial expressions. My stems are an extension of my emotional state. Of course, not all stimming has that purpose. Mm -hmm. um, there is stimming for the sake of stimming, but I think that that is rarer than people realize that I think that the core stimming is a form of self-regulation. Mm -hmm. And so as I was able to lean into my stems more and I, I used to hide my stems a lot, like I mentioned, which led to some self-injurious hidden stemming. So because I couldn't stem and because I didn't internalize shame around stemming, I started to stem in ways that hurt myself in private. And in order for me to break out of that, I started, I wanted to embrace my big stems that other people had put down. I think I mentioned earlier about how I used to suck my fingers when I was young and how I was told to stop and coerced into stopping and efficiently bargained into stopping. Um, but that didn't mean that I stopped stimming. So I switched from that to biting my nails sometimes until they bled. Now that's a self-injurious stem, whereas the 
sucking my fingers was not, it was relatively harmless, but people don't like it when others bite their nails. So they told me to stop that. And I was very, very much pressured into stopping that. And so I went from that to slicing my gums with my fingernails. Mm. That's really painful. And I would do it all the time, but people couldn't see it as much anymore. So no one commented on it. And this goes more and more, but I'll just stop there. In in order to break that cycle, I needed to find positive ways of stemming orally. It was like an oral stem. And we found now that oral stemming does increase a person's frustration tolerance. There have been studies on this, mm-hmm. that there is a purpose behind it mm-hmm. for self-regulation. So I've you know gotten more into gum chewing, jewelry, drinking fizzy drinks, drinking hot drinks, different things like that to get that stimulation. And there are other stems, of course, there's rocking. I definitely have started, I shouldn't say have started because it's been for some years now, rocking back and forth when I'm stressed. And it's like, oh, there's such a bigger relief than, you know, squeezing my arms or just trying to wish it away, those Mm -hmm. feelings. And the stemming has been very helpful. I think I also want to touch on happy stems for a moment and how I used to, when I was younger, like spin and jump up and down and clap my hands when I was really happy. And then I started to be teased for that in middle school, pretty mercilessly by my peers. And so I stopped doing it. And what that taught me was that I shouldn't express happiness. Expressing my happiness was something that others would make fun of me for. And what we have found in many studies, psychological studies, is that when we make rules around how much emotion someone can show, it actually cuts off their ability to feel that emotion as extremely. So I was not able to access feelings of joy as immensely as I used to be able to. And I used to even tell people that happiness and joy were not feelings that I felt and that they weren't important to me. Mm-hmm. Now that I have re-embraced my bigger stems twirling and clapping and jumping when I'm happy, I see how much of that joy was always there beneath the surface, but that I just wasn't permitted to access. Yep. I'm I'm glad you mentioned that too. You mentioned something and you actually mentioned two things I want to touch on. The first is we had a guest about a week ago that's going to go live eventually who mentioned they were born female or assigned female birth. And when they were in high school, they couldn't do their normal stems. They liked to rock, but that wasn't socially accepted. But they realized that putting chapstick on their lips and twirling their hair was considered socially acceptable. So that's what they would do at the time in high school. And another thing you mentioned is I didn't know there was research that showed that if you're not allowed to express emotion, it can actually cut off one's ability to really be able to process it. But I'm glad you mentioned that because we talk about a lot in this podcast about how male autistics, for example, there's, I wouldn't say a stereotype, but people have noticed a lot of male autistics seem really not to be able to be in touch with their own emotions and we get called sociopaths and things like that. And one of the things I'm always mentioning is, yes, because men in general are not allowed to show emotion other than anger. So if you're an autistic person, especially an autistic male, but also a female, and you're told not to express emotion, no kidding when you grow up 
your ability to process emotion in a healthy manner is all jacked up because you're taught not to. So I'm I'm glad, really glad you brought that up. So what's interesting, Torin, is that you and I, of course, are always, I always say we're on the same page, just from different perspectives. My thinking is we actually had to have research to tell us that isn't the fact that we have such a high like case of mental health of generational trauma because we make people do things they don't want to do, like have babies they don't want to have. Everybody, everybody doesn't want to be a wife and a mom. And we wonder why we're in this situation, which is why I love that the my own son's generation has grown up where you can express yourself, right? You know, boys are wearing fingernail polish. Now, of course, there's those, you know, outlier people that we're not even going to talk about today because I'm in a really good mood. <laughs> but um, they are able to do that. And I think that, um, you know, if we make it through the next 10 years, they're, they're going to be healthier because of it, right? Um, we have just everything so secret or conformative and, and, and all of this stuff that we're taught to do in general. And then even more so for neurodivergent individuals who um, do things differently or, you know, move differently. Uh, and of course, I never understood why any of that was a problem, uh, but um, apparently it is for a lot of people. And I do apologize. I thought that was off. Um, so, I, we have um, a little bit more time left. And one of the things that I, um, besides your wonderful uh, social media um, uh, platform and everything that you say, I would like to, um, if you have something that you could share with our listeners and without trying to sound biased or stereotypical or whatever, I'm really speaking to my moms of autistic girls because they're getting pushback when they ask for a diagnosis, especially when they have their two brothers are autistic as well. <laughs> it's like, hello, I know what autism looks like and I'm looking at it in my daughter. Uh, so um, what, what advice or recommendations would you give them to help their daughters um, possibly grow up with the least amount of trauma? I mean, that's my goal in life, but I, I probably have an idealistic viewpoint. But yes, what would you say to those moms and dads? I would say, you know, First off, if you're asking this question, that's a great question to be asking oneself. Um, and I think on top of that, there are a few suggestions that I could give. Mm -hmm. And I, my number one suggestion would be to consider the way that we're talking about autism to these young girls. Mm -hmm. And if we're only bringing up this is challenging because of your autism. This is happening because of your autism. This is a problem because of your autism. Then that's going to send a very clear message to a child about who they are as an autistic person. But if we take some time to you know, listen to audiobooks written by autistic women and girls and read books and have conversations with autistic women who have grown up autistic their whole lives and hear from them the strengths and the even the neutral things mm -hmm. about being autistic and emphasize those just as much. Mm -hmm. If we can do that, then I think that would do a huge service to 
autistic young children of all genders. And I know we're specifically talking about daughters, but I think daughters a lot too, because young girls receive so many directives. Mm -hmm. And then when you are an autistic girl, that's going to double. Like people are just telling you what to do, who to be, how mm -hmm. to act and what's wrong with you all the time. Yeah. So find those strengths, learn about the strengths of autistic individuals across the spectrum, and then discover what that means for your own child. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, there's no two autistic people are completely alike. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when we read these narratives of six, quote unquote, successful autistic people, <laughs> then it's like, okay, well, I need my child to be that. So then we start trying to push our child into being who they aren't to be mm -hmm. this idea of a successful autistic person, mm -hmm. but be creative, be innovative, look at what your child's strengths are and think outside of the box about how we can maximize those strengths. If a child loves art or dance or music or nature or, you know, whatever their interests are, get them into that mm -hmm. as much as possible and balance out the therapies, right? Mm -hmm. So if they're going to OT and speech and all of these things every day of the week, when is their time to join mm -hmm. a nature club? Yeah. When is their time to join a dance team? Mm -hmm. When is their time for their strengths to actually be capitalized and emphasized upon? And if that's not happening, then the only message is, I'm broken and all of my free time needs to be fixed on fixing myself. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be traumatic. Yep. So making time to celebrate the child and their strengths is just as important as those therapies, if not more. I heard once from someone, no one overcame a challenge by thinking only about their challenges. Mm -hmm. We overcome challenges by using our strengths. So we need to be fostering those strengths. Thank no, you. It, it, exactly. But let's play devil's advocate. <laughs> let's say, let's say I'm a parent and I had kids because society told me I was supposed to have kids. And now my kid's autistic. And as you know, the whole point of having kids is as a reflection of yourself. It's something you show off as like a trophy to tell people that look how good of a parent you are. So if my, I hope that the listeners can hear the sarcasm in my voice. So if you have an autistic kid who's acting atypically, that could reflect on you. So what do you do to get your kids to act normal so people think you're awesome and you can win social credit? Mm -hmm. And once again, I hope people un understand the sarcasm. Yes. You know, I, I invite that, that questioning, that pushback on what I just mm -hmm. said. Thank you for bringing that up because yes, sarcasm there, but also there is some truth in what you're saying. Wait, what? And <laughs> I'm not sure there's truth in whatever I just said. <laughs> I mean, truth that that perspective exists. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I get what you yeah. Mean. yeah. <laughs> Even if it's just a small amount, that perspective mm -hmm. can really eat away at a parent and cause a lot of struggle and internal turmoil. Mm -hmm. And I think once more, that's why discovering our child's strengths, even if they're unconventional, is a huge deal because of course we want to brag on our kids. So what can you what can we foster that mm -hmm. our child is 
really great at. And that could be uh, the strange, maybe this seems like the strangest thing, but if it's something that brings your child joy and they're good at, then it's something to brag on and for them to hear that we're proud of them for, you know, when I was little, I liked to write stories, really strange stories, really strange books. And no one really ever wanted to talk to me about it because they only wanted to talk about academics or this or that. Maybe when I was little, little, they were like, oh, she likes to write stories. But Aww, then, that's you know, cute. That's how, that's yeah. how I do it. But then, you know, when I was like, I like to write, I like to write short mm -hmm. stories. I'm writing a novel. When I was older, people were like, okay, how are your grades? What are you in any sports? You know, they wanted to emphasize specific things. And it was when I found a, a few teachers that said, let me read it. Let me give you feedback. This is really great. I'm very, I think you need to continue doing this. They really put that seed that, oh, this is actually something that I can be proud of like this is something that I can really put out there this is something that is special about me and that can really build up a person's confidence so that could be being able to organize fungi like somebody's got that job you know mm -hmm. not that special interest should always have to be a job somebody's got that job and yep. somebody's really great at that and someone can write a whole book about the organization of fungi and if your child can organize all these fungi. That's pretty cool. Maybe it's time to start like making a fungus garden mm -hmm. and cooking with them and knowing which ones are poisonous and, mm -hmm. and working through that. That's pretty awesome. And that's something that we can celebrate, even if it's not the typical, oh, well, they earned first place in this race or they are captain on this team or they are valedictorian, right? They're not the typical things that we brag on for our kids. They're still beautiful. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to give, I love everything that you said, of course. I'm going to give the parent perspective in terms of, I guess, understanding the why. Um, so one of the things, first of all, is the mom circle is vicious. It's like mean girls times five. <laughs> like, I mean, if you do after school pickup and you're in that circle, they talk about three things, three things, three things. If you don't have to contribute to the three things, then you are ostracized. So part of it is the, the moms, right, are trying to figure out how to fit back in before they got a diagnosis. And so I'm not saying that's an excuse. I'm saying that's the reason why it's so difficult is because they end up being out. They're just not, nobody invites them anywhere, right? Because nobody wants to talk about fungi, that their daughter made a fungi garden and nobody wants to listen to the story about their daughter doing a fungi garden. Um, so a lot of moms have to learn their own security in, I need to accept this and be okay with this and be okay with, I may have to find a different circle of people, right? So that's a whole nother layer. Um, and then just the concept of a lot of my, and I'm saying moms, I'm not saying that dads are not included, but I do talk to a lot of more moms than dads, right? Um, and one of the things my moms always say is, for example, my daughter's interested in fungi, 
and I don't know anything about that. I'm a chef, <laughs> you know, and, and I couldn't wait to teach my daughter, you know, like, or I, you know, paint and I wanted, so they struggle with how to connect with their child because they have such contrasting differences. And I tell them, this is not specific to autism. This is no different than the football player dad who has the nerdy son who loves books and not diagnosed or not autistic, and they have nothing to talk about because the dad only knows sports, right? Which is a special interest that nobody seems to want to say about people who are because not that's autistic. A, that's a socially acceptable special interest. Oh my gosh, don't get me started. I don't like sports, so I, I love sports. I it's, miss out on a lot so of social easy. opportunities. Let me just say, sports is, and I know it's a tangent, but when it comes to socially acceptable special interests, sports is one of them. There are so many autistic, in particular men, autistic men hidden in like sports culture. Like if you spend time like I do, it's it's like half of them are on the freaking spectrum. It's because it's socially acceptable, so no one bats an eye. Yeah. It's sort of related to this because some are like, some things are like fungi, that's kind of weird versus like if you're into like storybooks or fantasy or things like that. Yeah. So it's, and I'm not, I'm, I, I think that our listeners need to hear what you both had to say. Um, but I do also understand that for some people, it's such a struggle because uh, you know, I'm not a person that needs, or I don't care if I'm in part of the group or not, right? Like I'm like, Stacy's fine, but a lot of people do. And I had to learn that um, in my older years that most people do like to kind of be a part of the group, right? And um, they struggle. And so, you know, fortunately I get to help them with that, but listen to this, rewind it listeners. Cause I love that part. And this is also something that I think is um, a part of the podcast that our listeners should rewind and have family members listen to. You know, part of shifting the narrative is we have to do it outside of the unit family. It's got to be, everybody's got to start looking at it differently for the kids to have that safe, nurturing environment. You know, you can't go to Aunt Betsy's and you can't stem there, but you can stem at grandma's like that. You know, we need to be able to stem anywhere. I mean, it's not, shouldn't be. Anyway, that's my you guys know how I feel. Torin knows. I just want people to leave stems alone and allow people to be who they are. That's really what I want. Just let people be who they are. So as we start bringing this in for a close, I have one more question. You mentioned something way earlier about how, and you're right, there's a stereotype that autistic people don't like fiction, which there are some stereotypes I understand where they come from, like saying autistic kids like trains, because a lot of autistic kids, especially a lot of boys like like me, for example, do like trains. But where the hell does the idea we don't like fiction? Have you ever been to an anime convention? Have you ever spent time in RPG community? Like, have you ever like or a comic book convention? It, it's full of autistic. It's autism are us. So I, I don't know where that came from, but. As someone who is a fellow writer and went to school for creative writing, you being an author is obviously something that interests me. So before we go, can you talk a little bit about your fiction? Yeah, I'd love to. So my debut young adult novel came out in 2022 in February, and my second novel is coming out in August and published through Bold Strokes Books. And what I focus on is the 
the intersectionality of neurodivergence, not just autism, but neurodivergence, queerness, and people of color. And I write these stories into young adult fiction. So they're very contemporary, but they have always a little splash of fantasy, usually involving something to do with some kind of fairies in some way. And Boy at the Window is about a teen boy who has depersonalization, derealization disorder, and daydreams as a coping mechanism for that. And he is trying to readjust to day-to-day -day life after being released from a mental health hospital. And he joins a cross-country team on which he meets another boy who might be there to maybe understand his imaginative daydreaming world, or maybe he's going to help him leave it. I don't know, you have to read it. <laughs> and then Gimmicks and Glamour is coming out in August, and it's also about a teen. This time it's a girl who is biracial, black and white, bisexual, and she has a secret that no one else knows, and that she can see fairies around herself everywhere all the time. And everyone has been blaming her for all of the havoc that the fairies wreak. But her best friend, Karis, might actually believe that she can see the fairies where she might be playing along as together they end up fighting an evil that no one else seems to see. And that story is very close to my heart. Your pictures it... are so good. We said this earlier about your intro. You're so good. Like the book that I'm working on, I, it took me years to just dial down the halfway decent pitch. And it's something I've been working on for way too long to not have it done. If you're just so good, like, do you work on that? Or you just, and this I was going to say, just naturally good at my publisher asks me to write my own summary. So I, I have to really, really sit and think mm -hmm. on it for usually several days to narrow it down. And then I just kind of try to memorize that and give some kind of version of that. <laughs> but I did want to add that that story about Ashley, the gimmicks and glamour story that's coming out in August, it's really close to my heart because this idea of having the sight and being able to see fairies and no one believes you and everyone thinks that there's something wrong with you if you bring it up is definitely meant to be a metaphor for the experience of being autistic. I love that. Would you um, um, come back and join us once it's published so we can talk about it and get? I would love to do that. I would love to. I always want to geek out about we stories. Could, we, we, we need like one more, because we already have Kira. So we need like one more like fantasy author mm -hmm. and we can have like a fantasy. Because we've had, we, we've had authors on before, which were like, like I said, I, I don't know where this comes from because there's a lot of like, autistic fantasy author, authors it's called the most fantastical stuff so mm -hmm. we need like one more person we'll have like a whole like create we'll have like a whole fiction panel like a fantasy panel and no one will, no one will download it and i don't care <laughs> I, I don't think the world realizes how much value autistic individuals bring to to just i just don't think they understand i mean i i like, I don't know what I would do if we didn't have autistic people. Like, there's so many things that I would never think about or see, but my students have shared with me or my neurodivergent friends have um, 
uh, helped me to uh, sort of experience. And I'm like, I would never, I mean, I just would never, I just, all right, I'm going to end here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's, let, let's call it's it. It's just been delightful. It really has been delightful. Like I am just so happy that you came to join us today. I mean, I really am just so happy because you just say things in such a beautiful way and you have just made such an impact on my families and I can't wait until you make more of an impact. Um, and that was one of the questions I was gonna ask, but we'll save that for when you come back in August. All right. Thank you so much for coming on. This was, this was really great. Mm -hmm. I promise our normal interview format is a bit less disjointed. <laughs> I, I don't know what <laughs> happened today. I am editing none of this because I found it hilarious. So yeah, buckle up guys. Thank you for listening. And Stacy, that's why we're working to- Shift the narrative on everything autism. I like that transition. That's a nice transition, right, Stacy? Make sure to like, comment, share yes. with your friends and family. We need this for the algorithm because the algorithm hates us. They, 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 they're trying to cancel us. It's bad. Okay, I'm gonna get out of here before I make this any worse. See ya.